thank everyone and the listeners who are joining in today uh, for participating in the dialogue about mental health in our community. And as we continue to investigate and spend time with different folks through the Center for Healthcare Services and the uh, many professionals we have working on things related to behavioral health, uh, we also hope to visit with some folks out in the community. Um, today, we're joined by Dr. Shauna Corley, who is uh, runs a couple of programs. One, the Access Program for the Center for Healthcare Services, and the two others would be the Forensic Court Program and the Court Ordered Treatment Program. So thank you so much. I think they're just all known collectively as the Justice Programs. This is kind of the way that I uh, encompass everything that you do. But thank you for joining us here today, Dr. Corley. Uh, we really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. Well, before we sort of kick off and, and jump into all the great work that you're doing and the folks that you get to work with, uh, could you tell us maybe just a little bit about yourself and sort of how you came to, to, to work in the space of mental and behavioral health for the Center for Healthcare Services? Um, so I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, so I've been licensed for about six years now. Um, and I have a private practice that specializes in um, trauma and working with um, kids who have been witnessed to murder. Um, and so I've always kind of been working in the criminal aspect of um, life. And so um, when I was looking for a job opportunity, this one came available because I love to testify at court. It's like my favorite thing to do. Um, and I do a lot of that at this position. Um, and so just being able to help from a different perspective um, and be able to kind of use my skills with my both education and past knowledge um, to help the consumers who are on a criminal court commitment. Sure. I mean, it seems like it, I guess it fits uh, some of your passions, but then also, you know, the, the things that you've learned to do or, or by trade and by your profession. So um, it sounds a little heavy though, when you mention uh, kids who, who have come out of a situation where there was a murder. It sounds really, really heavy. Um, I don't know if there's anything more you can add to that type of interaction, but when you're thinking about the clientele you're dealing with, I don't have a better word right now. Just hearing you say that sound, it sounds heavy. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I love trauma work. Um, like I absolutely love trauma. And so um, I think it's one of the most rewarding to work with. Um, yeah, it's heavy, um, but you know, if you're doing your job the right way, you're not taking it home with you um, and making sure that you have things in place to alleviate the stress that can come with it um, because those clients are probably some of the most rewarding to work with. Um, and it's the only clients that I see. So I only work with clients in my private practice who are trauma focused, who have had some type of trauma, whether it's a sexual assault, um, a witness to a murder or um, some other type of assault that they've experienced. Um, so I'm surrounded by it, but I like it. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned something uh, really, really important. I think later, if we have some time, I'll come back to it. But um, in, in speaking about not taking some of the homework with them, outside of the justice programs that you run here at the Center for Healthcare Services, who is Dr. Corley outside of this? And it, again, it sounds all heavy, but when you talk about yourself as a person, who are you? And you know, who are you outside of the work? Um, so, I mean, outside of my job roles, I'm a mom, um, so I have two kids, uh, a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a three-month-old, so I just came back from maternity leave like a month ago. Um, 
and a counselor by trade. I mean, that's what I do, um, but mainly just a mom outside of here. <laughs> So. Well, with, a, with a newborn, yes, probably, especially right now, given the timing. So uh, we thank you for coming back to the work and the program. So, um, well, well, great. I think next, can you tell us a little bit about these programs more in depth and maybe the teams that you have supporting all of the work that goes into working with the clients that you serve? Yeah, so these three programs fall under the justice program umbrella. There's a couple other programs um, that work on the civil side. Uh, mine are the only ones that work on the criminal mm -hmm. side um, of the spectrum. And so um, access focuses mainly with consumers who are on probation or parole um, and need uh, mental health treatment as a part of that condition. Um, so if they violate mental health treatment, they also violate the conditions of their probation or parole. Um, so the team in there includes probation, parole, um, and our provider making sure that they're being compliant, um, not only with their probation or parole conditions, but as well as their mental health and not using drugs or alcohol. Um, then the forensic um, program is also called outpatient competency restoration. Um, and what we do there is we work with individuals, um, defendants who have been found not um, incompetent to stand trial. So meaning they don't know how to participate in their own defense for court and so they can't consult with their attorney they don't understand how the court system works to be able to provide a good defense against the charges that they're being um, faced with so we provide competency restoration curriculum to them to help them regain that knowledge so that they can then face the charges and move on with the case that they have against them um, and then the last program is our not guilty by reason of insanity um, here it's termed as court order treatment um, but the not guilty by reasons of insanity are individuals who were found insane at the time of their charge, um, whatever their crime was. Um, and those are more egregious crimes than the um, outpatient competency. Um, we get both felonies and misdemeanors in the outpatient competency, but all of the NGRIs are felony cases spanning from 10, 20 to okay. life. Things in their past, uh, maybe it led them to or the complications uh around their mental health challenges have sort of put them in a position where maybe these crimes were committed, maybe they weren't, but what can you tell those listening about the people behind sort of the situation that you guys encounter and deal with? Is there something that you would want our listeners to know about these folks? And um, again, just from a, a human standpoint, just something you can share with us and, and who you see and, and those that you serve and work with. Yeah, I mean, the important thing is like, they're still humans, um, even though they had a crime, um, you know, the only reason they were found insane is because they weren't receiving mental health treatment at the time, they weren't taking medications. Um, so their mental health symptoms were untreated, which led to the charge, um, whatever it was a delusion or a hallucination that created the charge to take place. So had they been managed uh, more effectively, um, they wouldn't have been in the same situation. They're just I mean, they're regular people who, you know, didn't know the value of mental health treatment um, prior to their charge, leading them to a situation where they weren't getting any and then right. have a pretty egregious charge. I mean, it almost sounds like your team and, and you, you all serve sort of in a role as a navigator or someone to help um, these clients really understand the ins and outs of this process because like you said you're sort of shepherding shepherding them along and helping them really work through things they may not understand or may not you know fully comprehend or even given you know some of their mental challenges 
maybe they just haven't put it all together, but they need good representation, not just from a, a legal standpoint, but someone on the other end helping them manage their um, sort of their behavioral health challenges along with understanding the way the process works. I mean, like I said, a navigator, it sounds like that's what the word that comes to my mind. Yeah, and we, I mean, we do that because we, you know, help them figure out that process, but also advocate for them because um, we are in court all the time um, and going to court whenever their extensions are coming up, um, you know, we have to advocate for them that they're still safe to be in the community and that they are complying with treatment. Otherwise they have to go to the hospital. And um, a lot of these people have been with us for 10 plus years um, sure. and are going to be monitored for the rest of their life. And so, right. you know, we have to develop a good relationship so they can trust us that we're not just going to ship them back to the hospital, um, but also making sure they're being held accountable to their treatment. And I think that's, it's a really important point that you make is really the accountability needs to really needs to exist so that not just are they you know complying with the court order and everything else but also so that they're able to fully function and be part of society in the way that you and i would be or those who are maybe not be dealing with the similar challenges i wonder you know can you describe um you know maybe how have some challenges related to mental health impact of these clients outside of maybe the charges that were brought against them? Um, is there maybe a, a line that you can draw? And again, sometimes it's, somebody would say it's correlation. Sometimes people would say there's causation, but is there a line that you can draw between some stories or, or some instances of mental health challenges uh, or behavioral health challenges that really result in um, some of these charges? So if we're referring to like um, their ability to access those, I think that's probably one of the biggest things. Um, a lot of these consumers have expressed like that they didn't know where to go for treatment, um, nor did they okay. understand how staying in treatment could provide them a greater quality of life. Um, because now a lot of our consumers, like they have families and, you know, they've had kids and they've gotten jobs and they've done things. And so, um, but that's all because they're compliant with treatment. And so I think the biggest right. thing is them knowing where and also being welcomed um, because a lot of them, especially in that particular program, um, they're very sick when they aren't on treatment. And so um, they can present um, a very aggressive, um, but they are not aggressive people naturally. And so if they were presented like that in other um, you know, facilities, people could label them as aggressive and not want to help them. Um, and they have all faced that. And so I think that's one of the biggest challenges, but also knowing, you know, what some of their charges are. A lot of people don't want to work with them. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And again, I think part of the, you know, this time around, because it is our second podcast, I actually didn't open up with sort of an intro the way I, in my mind, was preparing to. But um, part of the role of this podcast and for the Center for Healthcare Services Foundation is that link the Center for Healthcare Services and the many great programs and services. And I think all across the city, especially in Bear County, we know that there's a lot of great organizations who are doing a lot of great work. But I think part of that, the mystery behind sort of the connection between a layperson really understanding people and then also understanding even that point that you just made that the folks that you're working with are really sick when they're not being compliant or when they're not compliant on their meds. And I think it's an important point to make and really, you know, for us to understand that 
Um, they are just people. And like anyone else who may not take their arthritis medication or their lipid medication, things can get out of hand and challenges will present in different ways in their life. And I think it does cause sort of an issue when it, you talk about quality of life. But um, I wonder, since you were talking a little bit about the connection between sort of mental health challenges and how it impacts your clients, do you have a success story? And I think you started to mention, um, you know, maybe a couple of instances, but do you have a success story that comes to mind that you could share that you would, might, wouldn't mind sharing for our listeners and those who really are just interested or, or may have found sort of an interest in this? So um, I would say the one that we use the most and, and have used as a success story, um, even with the state, um, to recognize this consumer, um, she was extremely delusional. Um, she believed that Trump was her uncle and um, that, you know, he needed a consent for her treatment, which prevented us from getting to do a lot of things with her initially. Um, she ended up getting picked up and taken to SASH. Um, and, you know, we accepted her back into the program. Um, and she was for competency. So she had been found incompetent to stand trial. Um, and she you know, got on her meds. Um, we worked very closely with her. Um, she is now in school, has her own housing, um, manages her own finances, takes her treatment. She was actually dismissed from our program successfully. We were able to advocate for her um, charges to um, be dismissed after she was found competent. She completed all the curriculum um, and she's super successful and has been transferred to another clinic within the center um, and maintains stability um, and does really, really well. So, I mean, that's probably like our biggest one just because she had such a drastic change. Um, but yeah, all yeah. of our not guilty by reasons of insanity, like we have some, like I said, who just had babies and, um, you know, are being super successful. So it really just depends if they stay in treatment and work for it. No, that sounds really, really amazing when you describe sort of where she is now in her life. What was the, for my own curiosity, but what was the sort of the timeline from when you all encountered and sort of maybe the first intake or, or how she came to this program and then where you see her today being transferred off sort of what was that timeline to give sort of the listeners just an idea of, of what that entails and, and how how intense that can be so um it was about 15 months um okay. and in that particular program my case managers see them twice a week so it's a little bit of like more intense services um but she right. You know, obviously put in the work as well. Um, and so it was about 15 months. Um, most of our consumers in that unit stay with us for a while, just like the other one. Um, but she was able to get out quicker than um, some of the other ones. So, yeah. Now, you know, again, I, I come back to the idea that I asked you about earlier in terms of sharing to our listeners what they may not know about these people they are are just you know they're humans just like the rest of us but on our first podcast we were visiting with katasha green to uh, katasha green who runs our supportive employment programs with the center for Healthcare services and one of the things that she talked about was just how dignifying it was for folks to be able to be active contributing members of society and i think that was a really big point for me sort of a huge sticking point just in the sense that the folks that she was working with, they really wanted to be a part of that. They wanted the success that we want to help them with. And I guess similarly, you know, how many of the folks, it's probably more hypothetical, but 
how many of the folks want that help? And really, it's just a matter of getting them on the right meds and getting them with the right person in terms of a, an advisor, a counselor, a navigator to help them walk through the process. But we take that for, for granted, I guess, on, on our end or the way people end. Just we fully connect with and understand that process. And again, part of the role of the foundation is try to convince um, folks, donors, right, that there's a reason why they should try to help a population that they may not ever encounter or know that they fully don't understand sort of the disease state or what they're dealing with, but convincing them that this is a great investment. And I think your program along with uh, Katasha Green's program just is another example of why that matters at the end of the day, because these folks want to see themselves out of, they just don't know how to get out of that place that they're in. And sometimes it's, it's more medical related and, and mental health and wellness has got to be a part of that conversation on an ongoing basis and how we treat that. So. Uh, I just wanted to say, it's important to note that our, not guilty by reason of insanity program is the only one in Texas that's like an actual form formal program. Oh, wow. um, and so a lot of those consumers um, in Texas don't get the opportunity to come on an outpatient basis and be not have to sit in the hospital for the rest of their life. Um, and so it is a unique program, um, which is not funded by anybody. Um, you know, and those are opportunities, you know, in, in relation to donors and things like that, that really could help because we can really provide greater ability for these people to get stable um, and, and help them so that we can have more people be out and like actually have a life. Even though they have this charge, doesn't mean that they shouldn't have a life, a regular normal life where they get to go to families, birthday parties and things like that. Because when they're in the hospital, they don't do any of that. And so um, we're kind of unique in that. Um, and we're the only real formal program um, that specializes just in NGRIs. Put that in context. So you said the only program in Texas, right? That sounds, I mean, again, that sounds heavy. It sounds like we should be, we should be promoting this in a whole a bigger way. And this, this is a whole other conversation that I think we should have with you. But um, put that in context now, across the country, how many of these types of programs exist? state by state, because it, that seems like a lot. It seems that there's a big need for these programs to exist outside of San Antonio and Bear County. And I, I believe you've told me that before, and I just can't, I can't believe it now, even here, and that we're the only one in the state that has this program. And it's, it's something to applaud for you to certainly to take, um, you know, some recognition for, but obviously you're seeing some success. And I guess, can you put that in context or do you have any other information across the country and how that relates? So I haven't been able to really locate any other like programs that are just specific to NGRIs. Um, there's some other, like uh, the other LMHAs in Texas, like they have like their ACT team will take an NGRI here or there, um, but they're not specialized in that and they don't like have the same um, like flow and process and, and support like that we have with our consumers. And so hmm. um, I haven't been able to really find anything else. Um, I know that we're in conversations to hopefully get some other programs going um, based on what we're doing here um, because they are being super successful um, right. and giving people an opportunity to, to be regular life. No, that's amazing. That sounds really rewarding for you too. And I, you know, I think just as we think through the many facets of mental health, and again, the, this dialogue and this podcast really by design is to increase the connection and the education for the community and for myself, I think it's one of the benefits that I get out of this and visiting with you and others in the profession, just learning so much more about 
something that I, my background is not right. This is, I don't come from, I come from a business background, not at all related to social services or not at all related to mental health and vapor health. But I do know that there's an opportunity for us to continue to connect the rest of the community and the business community to see how this can be really a helpful tool in, in relation to how we get folks sort of back on their feet or, or get them help how they need. Um, you know, I guess it leads me into the next question for you, Dr. Corley, but why do you think it's really important for us to continue to discuss mental health uh, and not just related to your program specifically, but mental health in general and behavioral health um, for the community? I, why, why, I guess, why do you feel it's an important effort for us to make? Well, as a counselor, mental health is super important. Um, everybody struggles with mental health. Um, everybody just on a different degree sure. of severity. And so, you know, everybody experiences depression. Everybody experiences anxiousness. Um, it's just really how different people handle it, um, you know, is how it impacts them. And so to say that nobody ever has any mental health issues is crazy to even say that um, because everybody can benefit. I say everybody can benefit from therapy probably because I'm a therapist, but um, I think it's just, you know, so important because everybody struggles and it's okay to have, you know, support with mental health professionals to be able to work through those. Doesn't mean you're going to have to be on, you know, on a regimen for the rest of your life and having to see a therapist every week and do things like that, but being able to gain some additional tools that maybe you just didn't get taught because a lot of people mm -hmm. didn't understand the value of mental health treatment um, or how to work with people along the way. And so um, I think if you have never been taught it, then reach out to somebody who has been um, and who, who focuses all their training around that one thing to be able to help people. Um, but it's super important to just maintain everybody's mental stability in general. Um, but especially if you're experiencing severe symptoms to be able to manage it so that you can live a rewarding life, even if you have to be on medication to do that. Um, I always tell people, taking meds just makes your superpowers more super. It doesn't make anything wrong with you. It just makes those superpowers that you already have better and able to function in a better way so that you can live a good quality of life. You know, that's interesting. Some of the comments you made that you put it in that context, because I feel like, again, for someone who doesn't have the background in mental neighbor health, I do feel as though most people on average they wait until there's an urgent need for something or they're experiencing some sort of episode to go get help. And I think the biggest, for me, the biggest conversation that I've tried to build some momentum or manufacture some momentum around is just this idea that, hey, we've been talking about this, this idea of stigma for a long time. Why don't we actually get to the business of doing this? And by this, I just mean having a dialogue or making it an active part of normal everyday conversations, the, way, the same way that you know, 30, 40 years ago, we didn't talk about preventative healthcare, physical healthcare. We didn't talk about going on a preventative um, basis to a doctor and having insurance companies or policies supportive of folks going to see medical professionals before something happened. Again, because it actually made everyone sort of more efficient, more profitable, from a business point, it, it just helped. That's why I for business insurance companies to really support that because at the end of the day, they weren't paying out as much. They didn't wait until the person was having a heart attack. They were having them preventatively go in, see a cardiologist, see their doctor, primary care physician. And I think that's where I would like to see us get to from, from a policy standpoint, from a business standpoint, from an investment standpoint, 
all around with mental health and wellness. And I think it's interesting that you put it in that context, just because I do feel, and I don't know as a, as a counselor yourself, what do you, what do you say about that? Or what can you tell me um, that makes me feel sort of validated in that sense that, yeah, people, a lot of people wait until it's like right on top of them. And then that's when they call you. I'm glad that I can validate um, your thoughts. <laughs> um, you know, it's super important if we, you know, don't take a more proactive approach to it. People are never going to really have the best quality of life that they can have. And so mm-hmm. um, if people still believe, um, especially culturally, that receiving mental health treatment is not good and that they can do other things to make their mental health symptoms go away, um, like using drugs or things like that. And um, they don't realize like the negative impact that that's happening, that's having. And so I think the more proactive and the more we talk about it to make it just like, Hey, how's your day? Hey, how's your mental health? Same kind of concept so that people get that it's okay to like have conversation. And I always tell my staff all the time, tell me how you're feeling. Like, let's talk about that. Like, what do you need Mm -hmm. to help you be better? Because Um, we also know with our direct care staff, like if they're not in a good place then they can't help their consumers in the best place. And so I try to implement that with them too, so that it's more of a common conversation than just nothing. You know, it just, it sort of dawned on me now, again, especially from our supervisors or or, or even our leader. I know um, the Center for Healthcare Services president and CEO, Jillian Burley, she oftentimes will reference us taking care of ourselves and the caregivers taking care of themselves and checking in with our own mental health and you asking your team about their mental health. Tell me how you're feeling. I think we take for granted within this, again, this, this profession and the sphere of business asking our employees or asking those on our team about their mental health and checking in with them that way. And I feel almost like, how do we get that to the other side, to the, the corporate, the private sector? How do we get to even the governmental sector? How do we make that, piece of interacting with the leadership and you know holding our teams accountable to things how do we get that to be a mainstream part of the way business is done because i think we're here we're already here and i'm not sure if in europe there's you know a case study or some success studies with um you know different employers or or businesses but i wonder just because i do feel like yeah oftentimes i do hear folks ask me about that here and I do hear that conversation, even you just talking about your team. What do we have to do to make that a part of other businesses, to make that a part of the other world? Just your thoughts. I think that they have to change the culture of how they think about it. Um, everybody's so focused on numbers and um, the outcomes versus how that process happens. And so um, I know for my staff, like if I don't build them up, they're not going to be productive um, and they're not going to want to enjoy their job or want to work to their best ability because they don't feel supported. And so, you know, I think businesses across the board need to have the ability to build their people, to build their business and not focus just on the numbers that are coming out. Yes, that's important, but you have to think about what it takes to get those numbers. And if you can't, um, you lose a lot of really good people. Um, who probably could benefit your business even more and help you be more productive um, if you were able to build them up. But I think making it a part of the conversation versus it feeling like it's something that they can't talk about, um, like from an HR standpoint, because there's nothing wrong with asking your people how they are. Um, And keeping, of course, the 
conversation is appropriate, but making sure that you're checking in with them. And if you notice that they're struggling to make those referrals to EAP for them so that that way they know that that's a resource they have to seek additional help if they need it versus like, okay, we'll just deal with it. Like just make it part of that general conversation. Like I want you to be okay. So here's this resource and let's do that. Sure. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I feel like, you know, oftentimes, especially now, uh, you hear that a lot, the EAP programs that many organizations have and employers have as a part of their, their offering and their benefits. Um, I just don't know if that's enough. And I wonder if we're at the place now or the juncture now, you know, in the world where we can start to push an even a more impactful program or, or by design a more impact, uh, impactful offering, if you will. I think they need training, um, especially yeah. now with with COVID, um, you know, like a lot of people are struggling mentally. So even people who quote unquote never dealt with mental health are dealing with mental health issues. So I think it would require some training programs to come into businesses and be like, okay, let's, let's do it different. Um, and here's how you can do it different and teach people how to have that more um, self-growth awareness versus just the business mindset. How have you seen during this pandemic, you know, either has there been an uptick in your area, have you seen more cases come through? What has that sort of the transition or the working through this global pandemic been like for you and your programs? That's first the question. So for the programs, um, we have definitely, like I said, the NGRIs and the, the incompetence, they're very sick when they're not in treatment. Um, and so when things like this happen, their delusions come back in full force. And so we've been seeing a lot more of them um, having severe delusions around the pandemic, um, not taking their meds because of fear of the pandemic. Um, wow. And so obviously that causes them to decompensate. Um, and then like on the private side, we're getting a ton of intakes um, on people who need mental health and there's not enough people to take all of them. So um, there's definitely a need even more so now and will be in the fall yeah. if schools don't go back into session. So yeah, no, I hear you. And you're absolutely right. You know, I think it's interesting that you bring up the, the correlation between an increased number of what you're seeing and then on the private side, an increased number of folks who may not have ever dealt with sort of behavioral mental health issues or challenges in the past, them coming out and finally saying, hey, look, this is a, you know, there's something going on. I don't know what it is, but really trying to deal with it. Um, well, there's one more question I wanted to get to because I want to make sure that we at least make this, this sort of this pitch or this offering. But can you talk about any current project or urgent needs that you have in your programs or in your areas? And then really maybe how this podcast and conversations like this can help your programs. Um, just so that we give listeners an idea of what, what you're working through and maybe opportunities to help. Because I think that's by design. The other piece of this is I want to make sure we can connect our community and the folks that we reach to your programs and to the programs of the Center for Healthcare Services. And, and maybe there's a donor out there for you. But if there was something that you're working on um, that we can help connect, love to hear about it. Yeah, I mean, we always need um, stuff, especially like emergency funds for um, like housing issues or sometimes, you know, they have like an emergency or they or they don't get their benefits and things and they don't have food. Um, luckily, um, you know, we submitted for grants through the foundation um, and received the ability to have emergency like gift cards to Walmart. So we've used those to help with emergency food needs um, or just like bedding needs and things like that. Um, but 
having the ability to have that flexibility in a budget because like I said, that NGRI program and my access program are not funded by anybody other than the center. Um, whereas my competency right. program is, and we do have the ability to help when they come out of the hospital or out of jail to put them in a boarding home and pay for their boarding. Um, we don't have that ability in the NGRI, but I do think it would be something that would be helpful because it would help people be more stable longer. Um, so those would be my initial thoughts, but I'd be happy to share yeah. with anybody. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I love, I love that. I've, you know, it's leading me to another question, a follow-up question, just that, um, you know, I have to obviously connect with you offline and take, but I do think that um, with programs like yours, especially, especially when you talk about a program that doesn't exist anywhere else in Texas, there's probably a whole lot more that we need to be doing. We, the foundation, in terms of connecting you to the community, I see that as an opportunity and I, I'll, I'll pledge to you now. And you, so you have it on record and now we're going to, you know, you're going to have this broadcasted, but yes, I definitely commit to making sure that we do our part and helping expand or at least increase attention around this program because that's phenomenal. I mean, I, I think you had mentioned that before, but I, it's not a fact that I remembered, and I think that's a, it's a great thing to promote. So I want to make sure that we help in any way we can. Well, I want to thank you again, Dr. Corley, for spending some time with us today. I do think that our listeners really got an education around some of these programs that they may not even think about or oftentimes not pay much attention to other than, oh, that's the folks, those are the folks who have been charged with something. Um, but as you said, and as you talked about, there's, I just want to bridge that gap as, as best I can. And I want to continue to have these dialogues and in hope that it would inspire someone or at least educate someone or, or you know, maybe make a better connection than has been in the past. And so I will leave it to you for some closing thoughts or if you have to share before we sign off. No, I mean, I appreciate your time and, and bringing attention to these programs. They're just very unique and the center has the ability to serve these criminal court commitments and you know they have lots of rules and lots of expectations to the court but i think there are some of the more rewarding ones personally just because they have the added struggle of having these commitments on their record um and sure. so they're just a different different population but they're good people yeah again we thank you for taking the time and we certainly um you know we want to send some shout outs so please look for this podcast and then share it uh, with folks who are connected to your programs and to the work that you do um, we will absolutely be in touch and let you know. But for now, I want to thank all of the folks who listened and tuned in to learn a little bit more about the Center for Healthcare Services and another one of the great programs or a few of the programs that are offered by the Center for Healthcare Services, uh, this being in the justice space. And again, we were visiting with Dr. Shauna Corley, and we want to thank her so much for her time and for con her consideration and giving us sort of an education about this. But um, the Center for Healthcare Services Foundation is committed to providing the capital, clinical, and educational resources uh, that are around that we could find to enhance and to continue to advance the mission of the Center for Healthcare Services. So we thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you soon. Take care.